<laughs> My name is Dee. I'm one of the pastors here. It's a joy for me to have the privilege of uh, leading you into uh, the passages of Scripture this morning. My guess is that some of you would remember or be aware that we have, for a number of weeks, been in the Gospel of Mark. We have taken a long time getting through the first chapter. Um, last week, we uh, kind of took a diversion to another passage of Mark because it was Transfiguration Sunday. Rebecca Laird did an absolutely wonderful job of opening up to us both that passage and its connection to Isaiah and the ways in which we can be renewed um, ourselves. And um, it, it was both a message about transformation and uh, transformational for those who caught some of the pieces and how it might apply to your life. I encourage you to go to the website and listen to it if you've not had a chance to do that. But I would like to mention where we dropped off in Mark. We dropped off in Mark in the section where Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law. And the very next section um, picks right up in that place uh, where Jesus spent the night in the house. And then in verse 35, it says that um, very early... While it was still dark, Jesus left the house, and he went out to a solitary place, and there he prayed. This uh, seems like such an appropriate spot to pick right back up, considering that during the season of Lent, we are emphasizing prayer. It is uh, a season that started this last Wednesday, carries through till Easter Sunday, and it is uh, so appropriate that this would be a season for us to journey together and to learn more about prayer, to pray together, to pray for one another. But I also am very aware that um, prayer means different things for different people that are here. And so this morning, I simply wanted to dig a little bit deeper into some of the ways in which we have been taught to pray and some of the things that Scripture can teach us about prayer but first, I would like, if I could, to um, take away some of the guilt, both of this season. I think it's appropriate for us to wrestle with the confessional side of our journey, but I am not intending this morning to guilt anybody into more prayer. I hope that prayer doesn't arise out of guilt, but arises out of this overflow of relationship with Christ that compels us to long for greater relationship, and that's what prayer ought to be. I would like to also relieve guilt from those um, who maybe this verse and several others in the New Testament have caused you great grief as you tried to follow in Jesus' footsteps and get up before um, sunrise while it was still dark and go to some solitary place and not fall asleep and actually pray. Some of you have done that and that's become a regular routine of your life and I just want to say fantastic. I hope that that has produced for you um, a wonderful connection to the rhythm of your life and the way in which you connect to God. God bless you, that's fantastic. There are others who are sitting here who can't imagine getting up before sunrise and staying awake for any length of time after the alarm has gone off and have decided that that's what the snooze button is for and will do that for the next hour and a half until it's your regular time to wake up. There are others who have done this sporadically, who have gotten up thinking that uh, this would be a great way to kind of explore my journey of faith, my discipleship, and so for three days in a row you've been up before dawn in the dark praying and struggling, and then you have about two weeks of recovery trying to catch up on whatever it was that you lost, and then a couple months later you try again, 
and you endeavor to get up very, very early and do that same thing. I would like to, at least for some, say what I think is important that's not written in Scripture. And that is that there was no electricity in Galilee, and it's very, very likely that shortly after sunset, there's some candlelight that caused some additional activities to take place, but it would be very appropriate for Jesus to be in bed by 8, 8.30. A good eight hours sleep takes you to 4, 4.30, long before the sun rises and gets up and goes out to a solitary place and prays. So I would encourage you, if you're wanting to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, go to bed at 8 o'clock. <laughs> I don't find anywhere in Scripture that God calls us to move away from rest, that sleep is this incredible gift from God that provides physical, emotional, spiritual renewal and healing from a day of work, from a day of activity. Sleep is not a time where everything shuts down. It's where your um, systems within your body are renewed and restored. The latest research is amazing at what sleep does. God does not call us to this place to somehow go to bed at midnight, wake up at four, and engage in spiritual activity. Take the wonderful gift that God has given of rest, and then out of that, find the rhythm and patterns that work for you in prayer. So, with that in mind, I also want to acknowledge a couple other passages of Scripture before we jump into the Psalm 25 that is the Scripture reference for this morning. The first is that the actual Mark reading for this morning comes earlier in the chapter. It's a passage we've already looked at, but it is a passage where Jesus says that in a compelling way, pay attention, believe the good news, the message. What is the good news? The good news is that God has become incarnate. God has come and joined us. It's not really as if God has ever been absent, but in Christ... God lives with us and dwells with us. The amazing sacrifice, death, and resurrection of Jesus is part of this powerful message. But the gospel writers and the letter writers of the New Testament go to great length, great length to make it very clear that Jesus, in bodily form, is resurrected and that the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, comes to dwell with us and dwell in us. There is this powerful message of the good news that God desires to be in relationship with us. That's the message. Christ incarnate, Christ resurrected, now the Holy Spirit to dwell and live with us. So when Jesus says, believe, believe the good news believe that God has come. God is among us. God desires to dwell with us and that we might be in relationship with our creator. So I'm going to talk about Psalm 25 under the umbrella of prayer. 
I want to acknowledge one more thing before we go there, and that is in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about prayer. And he expresses some very important admonitions to us. He says, don't be like the hypocrites who love to stand in the synagogue and on the street corner praying and making a big to-do of their prayers so that they can be seen by others. They've already received their reward. And another thing, don't keep on babbling and going on and on and on, thinking that because of your many words you're going to be heard. Let me tell you, the Father already knows what you need before you even begin to pray. So when you pray, pray simply. So I want to acknowledge, before I step into this discussion of prayer, which actually includes a rather lengthy prayer, I want to say to you that my desire is not to stand up here and make a big to-do of praying. It makes me incredibly uncomfortable to lead in corporate prayer. I do it more often than most because of my vocation, but it is one of the most intimidating parts of the work that I do because it is overwhelming to try and put together a prayer on behalf of all of us. What is the prayer that makes sense on behalf of this community of faith? That's what corporate prayer is. It's not an attempt to make a big to-do of words. It is to try to say, oh Lord, corporately we are coming before you in community. It's incredibly intimidating, at times overwhelming. I also want you to know that the prayer of this morning will be a little bit longer than most prayers that I might offer. It is not an attempt to keep on babbling because God doesn't know. This is a different type of prayer. There is the corporate prayer that often happens. I'm actually inviting you in a little bit into a very personal prayer. When we are entering into that relationship with God where the Spirit invites us into communion, into conversation. And so I, I'm not asking anybody to shut their eyes. I'm not planning to shut my eyes. I'm just inviting you to hear one of the prayers of my journey, not because I think you need to pray this way, but I do want to express in this journey of prayer a way of praying that has become incredibly powerful to me, and I wish that somebody would have helped me along the way to understand this better. And it's the use of Scripture in prayer. Now, we do this in a number of ways, and there are so many different ways by which we can pray. And the use of Scripture in prayer can be used in many different ways. We have a couple of times in our services used what's called Lecto Divina. And in that process, we read through Scripture, we read it again, we read it a third time, we ask what insights we might have out of it, we read it again. Some of that portion of time is in silence as we simply listen to what the, the Word might be speaking to us. There's another way by which we sometimes use prayer, and that is that we use Scripture to actually petition on behalf of someone we love, a prayer request, someone um, for whom we are offering a petition. And so we might use a passage that um, may be familiar to us or in a chapter we're reading, and we take somebody for whom we're praying and we specifically use their name and let that verse be our offering of prayer. Another beautiful way to use Scripture. 
Sometimes simply reading or quoting Scripture becomes our prayer. Oh, Lord, this says it better than I ever could. So let me offer this, which is what we do so often when we offer the Lord's Prayer corporately. We are taking a passage of Scripture and saying, I certainly couldn't have said it better than this. Here's my prayer. But I would like to invite you into another way by which we can pray with Scripture, and that has to do with dialoguing with God. I have certainly invited us into that place before, and I think when I hear that, I most often think of praying and then being silent, because we ought to listen when we pray. And some would ask the question, but what are we listening for? Does God just speak out loud to you? That's not been my experience, that God just blurts out some audible message so that either everyone hears it or everyone else hears thunder and I get what it says. That doesn't happen to me. But I do have, during those moments of silence, very strong inward impressions, thoughts that take me to specific things about which maybe I should be praying a sense of God's presence or love or focusing on something that might need some change. And so silence becomes a very important part of our prayer time with God. I would like to offer another way by which we can enter into the dialogue with God. Scripture, this collection of books put together over centuries, written by people who have attempted to put into writing what they believe God has been teaching them, guiding them to write. And we have this collection of these writings that speak of people's journey over time. It is not for us just a collection of writings. It has also become a sacred testament or testaments of God's character, of understanding God better, of understanding ourselves better, and understanding what it is that Christ has done for us. This is God's Word. And we speak about this as its sacred precious gift from the Lord that instructs us. So if it is God's word to us, is it not possible that the word actually begins to lead us into dialogue? Psalm 25 doesn't necessarily come across as a prayer. Maybe in part it does, but Psalms, the collection of Psalms, and we're going to be in them for several weeks to try and build upon this Mark passage about Jesus praying and what does Scripture have to teach us about prayer. They are songs, songs that include celebration and joyful events. They also include lament and confession, and we will be in those genres throughout these few weeks as we're looking at this book of Psalms. This particular one Psalm 25 is attributed to David. It's very possible that David wrote this. It's also possible that there were some people during the Babylonian captivity who either edited it or arranged it 
or added to it, because there are some pieces of this psalm that sound very, very similar to other psalms that came out of the Babylonian captivity years. It was likely a familiar tune to those a long time ago. We have long since lost whatever tune it was that it was sung to, but it's a song. And this song I would like to propose to you sets up for me a dialogue of prayer. A personal prayer, a private prayer. I would love for the screen to roll where it says, and it's just like they do at the end of TV shows or movies where it says, and any images, characters, or storylines depicted that are anything like the real thing are purely fictional, and I can't say that because it's pretty personal. So you're invited for a few moments into my dialogue of prayer, not because I think this prayer is any more special than yours, but because I want to show you what this has become for me in using Scripture as a way by which to enter into this conversation with God. So the scripture begins, I lift up to you my soul, O Lord, and into that I respond in prayer. And God, I have to confess, I'm not even sure what comprises my soul. And I'm a professional in this religious stuff. And yet, I ask the question, what is it that is meant by my soul to be lifted up to you? What is essentially me? Is that what you're referring to? The portion of me that's eternal? The portion of me that is um, identifiable, that's beyond what you can touch or see? I'm not sure what that is, Lord. I've taken the inventories. I took the Enneagram to find out what my number was. I took the Myers-Briggs to find out what my letters were. I hear the letters WWJD, and I'm not sure if that's a Myers-Briggs designation or if I'm supposed to follow you in a particular way. I, I, Lord, have learned my love languages, and they don't match up very well with other love languages. I hear people talk about their strengths, and some people have some pretty amazing strengths. And I find myself with the strength of making very good M&M Butterfinger blizzards, and I'm pretty good at charades, but neither of those strengths really help me in what I think you're calling me to do, Lord. So help me to know who I am and what it is that comprises the unique me. Maybe it's in part some of those things that bring me incredible joy, the things that turn my heart and make me smile, make me cry with happiness. Maybe the things that create fear in me. Maybe the unique me is the weak portion, the wounded portion, the places where I hope nobody sees. It seems to me, Lord, that all of those things comprise my soul and so, Lord, here it is, all of those things that I know and a bunch of things I don't know, I want to lift them to you, Lord. And in you, I put my trust, but I have to confess that's one of the hardest things in the spiritual life for me to do, 
God, I, I feel like you've given me strengths and talents to lean upon and to use well, but I do find myself very often trusting those things more than I trust you. Trusting that they can get me out of hot water, that they can get me past a difficult circumstance. And so often I have to confess, Lord, that trusting in that way has led me into places of responses or doing things that I'm not pleased with and I'm guessing you're not pleased with either. And it feels like it's because I've put my trust in the wrong place. I trust my own resources. I trust the connections and networks and friends that I have that if I need help, I can call on them. And I might offer this prayer, but I have a tough time living it out. So Lord, I want you to know I'm praying this, but I'm working real hard to actually live this out to put my trust in you. So help me in that spot, Lord. Do not put me to shame. Do not let my enemies have victory over me. Sometimes it feels like there are a whole bunch of enemies, but Lord, I know just like you do that the worst enemies are the enemies that are within. My self-doubt, my God-doubt, My willingness to stay in a place of self-pity or, or live into that attitude of being a martyr when I'm not really a martyr at all. So Lord, for all of those enemies, don't let them have victory over me as well. Please, Lord. For I know that those who put their hope in you will never be put to shame. The ones who will be put to shame, and in my opinion, Lord, should be put to shame, are those who are malicious, vicious, without cause. But Lord, please, show me your ways. Teach me, Lord, your paths. Guide me into your truth. I long to be taught by you, Lord. I want to know your law, but not like knowing the details of the law. I want to know the spirit behind the law. I want to know the principles behind your precepts. I don't want to somehow have the knowledge of all of the things that are right and wrong. I want that stuff written on my heart so that I have a, a gracefulness toward others and a desire within me to come into the pathways laid out before me. So I long to be taught. I long to be a student of yours. I long to take the next course in what you're teaching. And oh God, please help me when I come to the end of this course not to think I know it all, but to realize I have 10 more courses to take or 100 more courses to take. And help me to keep plugging away. Not depending on other people's knowledge or other people's relationships. My parents, my grandparents, my friends, my children... But Lord, realizing that you've called me to be your teacher, your student, your disciple. For you to be my teacher, my guide. So Lord, show me your ways. For you are my God, my Savior. And I think of all of the other things that you are as well. You're my advocate, my defender my counselor, 
You are my redeemer, my good shepherd. You are my creator. And in you, Lord, I put my hope all of my days. I long to put it there and no place else. So, Lord, keep my eyes fixed on you. And remember, Lord, your love and your mercy for those of your characteristics for as long as time has been. And to be honest, Lord, I would love for those characteristics to be mine. If you're going to call me your child, I would love to start looking like you. And if the characteristics from the earliest days are love and mercy, then, Lord, I pray that somehow people might start seeing that in me, that somehow I might begin to take on your character. So if I'm actually going to be called your child, I had to have a little bit of a look like you, right? So my people might say, boy, he looks like his dad. So may somehow love and mercy begin to find their place in my countenance, in my posture, in my journey. So hand in hand with that, Lord, I'm asking that you not remember the sins of my youth, my rebelliousness. And if I could add to that, Lord, my youth is kind of a cop-out of a long time ago. Just please not even remember last week or maybe yesterday because that's not how I want to be seen by you. Truth is, Lord, that's not how I want to be seen by anybody. And so according to your word, Lord, you say that you will remove my sins from me as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against me again. And Lord, Lord, I'm not asking you that you don't remember them because I actually hope that you do to help me through it. I'm asking that you not remember them against me because I remember them far too often. I envy the people who live with absolutely no regrets, God. But you know me well enough to know that just out of the blue, thoughts will come to my head And they are regrets of something that I said or something that I did. And my mind starts thinking of the people that I hurt or how I'm being viewed or how it might reflect on you. But I have to confess it's probably less about how it reflects on you than how it reflects on me. And that even is not good, God, but that's how it sometimes is. And so I remember those things and don't want to be remembering them in the way that I remember them. So, Lord, I'm asking that you not look at me that way, but look at me through your eyes of love. And somehow may that begin to heal those regrets, those rememberings. Because your love leads to redemption. And there's nothing that you've not already begun to redeem and restore. So help me, Lord, to trust in that. For you are good. You, O Lord, are good and upright. You teach sinners in your ways. And I am one of those. So teach me, Lord, so that I may not be named as the sinner, but the sinner saved by grace.
so that the moniker on my life might not be there is the one who just keeps doing that again and again, but instead that the moniker might be there is one who knows where to put his trust so that he doesn't have to keep repeating again and again the things that have been destructive. For you guide the humble in your ways, Lord. You teach them your way. And your ways are faithful and loving for all of those who have gone about being obedient to the demands of your covenant. And that's what I want, Lord, is to be one who, like you, is exemplified by being faithful and loving. I want to put those two shoes on in the morning and walk around all day, wherever those shoes take me. I want to wear the coat of mercy, the hat of love, I want people to see that when I'm coming on the horizon, when I walk into a room. And so, Lord, into that, I need to ask you again, for your name's sake, please block out all of my iniquities. Because if I'm going to be called your child, if I'm going to carry your name, then, Lord, I ask that somehow you block out my sin and begin to repair my sinfulness. Who is it that fears the Lord? It is the one who you, O Lord, will guide into the pathway that you have laid out before that individual. And that person will live all of their days in prosperity and their children will possess the land Prosperity, Lord. So those who live in prosperity are those who fear you, who honor you, who respect you, who recognize their own sinfulness, and apart from grace, the penalty for that sin is worthy of fear. But who understand in that place of grace what you have extended and live in deep respect of what you have called us to and that is into relationship. What an awesome invitation. And it seems to me, Lord, that that is the definition of prosperity, to be in relationship with you. So Lord, please help that to become the way in which I live my life with a definition that aligns with what you have offered, the greatest thing in all the universe, in all of creation, the good news, the message of relationship with you. For in the ears of those who fear you, you whisper and confide your truth. You proclaim the nature of your covenant. Oh, to be that kind of a friend, Lord, where you can come alongside and whisper in my ear to confide your truths? Is that really possible? I believe it, Lord. 
And because of that, I will keep my eyes fixed on your face because you are the only one who can loosen the shackles on my feet. I know, Lord, that my tendency is to keep my eyes fixed on the shackles. It's why I start whining about the problems. It's why I grieve over the obstacles that have been put in my way. It becomes just a wonderful pastime to complain about the things that are making it difficult for me to do the things that I need to do, but that's because my eyes are fixed on the shackles, but you, O oh Lord, have called me to fix my eyes on your face, and when that happens, I get a sense of your presence and your peace, and then I am convinced, Lord, that either those shackles will somehow break free, or what I thought were shackles will be incredible ways by which you teach me and enable me to do what you've called me to do because you are the God of redemption, the God of renewal, the God of hope, the God of expectation. And I am convinced that these shackles somehow transform into something else. So help me, Lord, to move my gaze from being down to being up and looking at you. So please turn, Lord, and see me. Sometimes it feels lonely in the things with which I agonize. And you already know the troubles of my heart just seem to have multiplied beyond counting. So free me, Lord, from my anguish. Free me from focusing on those things. Hear my prayers. Notice my affliction, Lord, and strip away from me any sinfulness and sin that might be there. I'm hoping you notice what appear to me crowds of enemies, and I, I want to complain and say, do you see how much they hate? And then I want to be reminded once again, Lord, that the worst enemies are the enemies within. So help me, Lord, to be honest about the hate that is in me. The hate that I've accommodated. The hate with which I've become so accustomed that now it seems the norm and it doesn't even grab my attention anymore. Lord, redeem me. Rescue me. Help me to find refuge in you. I invite you, Lord, into all of the darkest places of my life that those places might be transformed and the power of hate begin to disappear. For you will not put me to shame, but you hold me close. So Lord, lead me to those places of integrity and uprightness. May that be the hallmark of how I live because, Lord, my hope is in you. And then I have to confess, Lord, this psalm of yours. It ends in a really strange way. After all of these things that feel so personal to me, the psalmist closes by saying, Redeem Israel, O God, and help her with her troubles. 
feels a little confusing, Lord. Is this kind of like the close of every political speech where the politician says, and God bless America? This just feels like a tag on that I don't understand, but Lord, maybe what you're trying to teach me is that the very best thing I can do for the community of which I'm a part is to take care of my own stuff first. Maybe transformation for my city, my neighborhood. My family, my friendships, my community of faith. Maybe the way by which that happens is for me first to simply say, okay, God, start with me. Let me do the hard work of learning of you, Lord, of trusting in you. Amen. So I'm going to invite the band back to the platform. And I'm going to ask you this morning, what does it mean for you to lift up your soul to the Lord? The real you. The full you. This morning the invitation is to believe the good news. That God invites you into relationship. This wasn't planned, but Wyatt, can you bring uh, the lyrics to Creating Me a Clean Heart back up to the screen from earlier? I felt led to just have us sing through this one time before we continue in our responsive set. Creating me a clean heart, oh God. Please stand with us this morning and let's respond. For my soul in thee. 
Praise God. What a wonderful note to end on. I want to encourage you. Hear the words of Jesus. Believe in the message, the good news. God has come and invited you into dialogue, into relationship. May this week be filled with your knowing God's presence is near and that you can experience God's love and be a purveyor of that love wherever you go. Have a blessed week, a great day. If anybody would like to pray off to my right, your left, some people that would love to pray you, speak a word of God over you out of Scripture, let that be part of your journey. Go in God's peace. Thank you.